The word says we're called to make disciples. We're growing in the word of God. Jesus Christ was sent to be our saviour. This is the Bromley Town Church Podcast. We pray God speaks to you through this message, blessing you as you live out God's word. Stream or download other sermon podcasts via the Bromley Town Church website or by using the SoundCloud app. Head over to bromleytownchurch.com. This is red hot down here. Come on, guys, you've got to do it. And Earl's on that side. It should be red hot over there too, see? Yeah, see, Stuart's got it. Praise the Lord. This morning, we're starting a new series this morning. There it is, God's Training Ground, Lessons from David, and today is Anointed as King. And I'd like you, if you've got a Bible with you, if you've got a phone with you, let's turn to Judges 21, 25. Judges 21, 25. We're going to start today, where is Judges, by the way? Judges at the beginning of the Bible. Not right at the beginning, a few books in. Judges 21, 25. Now, you may think this is a very strange place for us to start, but it's always good to start with a little bit of understanding of where we're going from. So our overall series, as I say, God's training ground, we're going to want to see what happened in the life of David and how that can affect our lives over the next few weeks. And today we're going to look at this subject of how David gets anointed as king. But what is all that about? Let's put that into some sort of framework so that we can begin to understand. Some of you have obviously read this through before. Maybe some of you haven't. So here we are starting at Judges 21, 25. And if you've turned to that, I'll read it. It doesn't matter if you haven't turned to it. But here we go. It says there, In those days Israel had no king, Everyone did as they saw fit. In those days, Israel had no king. Everyone did as they saw fit. So I just want to bring us into this place. The children of Israel have come out of Egypt. They've gone through the wilderness. They've come into their promised land. They've knocked down Jericho and all that sort of stuff. They're possessing the land. They're in the land that God gave to them. They've been ruled over by some people called the judges, and yet we get to the end of this book, and this tells us exactly what's going on. In those days, Israel had no king. But what was the consequence of that? Everyone did as they saw fit. We have a queen, and this is still true. Everyone does as they saw fit. So I just say that because we're trying to learn lessons. We're trying to get into history. This isn't just about history. We see a people here who are living like we are. Now, from this book, from Judges, we go into the book of Ruth. Ruth tells the story about an outsider from Israel who decides to make her God the God of Israel. And we see that God blesses her and her family. And then we go on from Ruth, and we come into Samuel. And when we come into Samuel, we're starting to learn about the spiritual life. We've already said, because this is still true, they've got no king and the people are just doing what they want to do. They're just going about their business as they see fit, even though their God is Yahweh, the God of Israel. Even though those things are true, people are still doing what they want. And as we come into the book of Samuel, we start to get an indication of what the spiritual life was like in the life of Israel. In Samuel chapter 2, it says this, there was a man called Eli. He was the priest. He was overseeing the temple. And we read at the beginning of Samuel how that 
the priesthood, him, so the chief priest and his sons, they were just grabbing, grabbing the sacrifices as they came in. The priests were allowed by the law to take some portions of meat from some of the animal sacrifices that were made, and that was a method for them to be able to survive. That was how they got their food. So that was fine. That's what was laid down in Moses. But you know what these guys were doing? It's almost like, I don't care what you come in here for. Give me your meat. Give me your sacrifice, because I want to have that. There was this sense of like, no honor of God at all. And this was going on amongst Eli and his sons, or particularly amongst his sons. God spoke to him, and he says, why do you scorn my sacrifice and offering that I prescribed for my house? Why do you honor your sons more than me by fattening yourselves on the choice part of every offering made by my people Israel? They were just grabbing the meat and taking it for themselves. But not only that, as we read a little bit more in the story, it goes on to tell us something that was happening with Eli's sons. Now, Eli, who was very old, heard about everything his sons were doing uh, to all Israel and how they slept with the women who served at the entrance to the tent of meeting. He said to them, why do you do such things? I hear from all the people about these wicked deeds that you are doing. Now, in a week like this, when there's been all this stuff about what's going on in Hollywood in the press, (laughs) this is like bang up to date here. So this was in the church. The priests, the guys who were not only stealing the meat when people were coming in to bring it for their sacrifices, there's women there who are helping and serving. They're sleeping with these women. It's corruption, folks. Absolute corruption. And if we were to go on further into Samuel, Samuel chapter 3, verse 1, it says this, In those days, the word of the Lord was rare. There were not many visions. You know what? It's hardly surprising, is it? The picture that we're coming into here is what we see about Israel. This is the nation for which God had done amazing things, for which God had fulfilled his promises, for which God had brought them, as he said he would, into this promised land. They are there, and yet when they get there, they forget about God. Everybody's doing what they want to do. And if that's just like, I need food and I'll take it, in the, in the priesthood, where God is to be honoured, people are dishonouring him. Where God's name is to be held in high honour, people are sleeping with other people who they shouldn't be sleeping with. And what is the result of that? God, by nature, has to withdraw. I can't be there. In those days, the word of the Lord was rare. Let's bring it right up to date where we are with what's going on in the press this week, with what's happening in our nation and in the nations of the world. We have to say, are we any different these days? Aren't the times that we live in dark days? From the point of view, is the word of the Lord being announced across the nations or is the word of the Lord rare? I think it's rare. Folks, one of the things that we really learned last week, if you were here last week and we've been through that time of prayer, you know that as we press into God's presence, his presence increases here. As we seek him, he does things amongst us. Now, the opposite is true as well. When you walk away from him, when you leave him, then you know what? God's presence starts to move away because God wants to be honored. Let me just ask you this question. Do you feel in your life that you are honoring God in the way that you're living? Are we snatching things? I mean, it's not necessarily that we're snatching sacrifice. Are we not bringing a sacrifice? 
Are we coming even in our times of worship when we're thinking like, well, I'd give the best. You know, I'd just do what I do. God wants our best. He wants honour. You know, he doesn't want to share his glory with anybody else. He wants to come among his people and he wants to declare his presence among his people. He wants people to know that my God is real. He is alive and he is able to help me. He wants us to hold a testimony like that because that is the type of testimony that will affect the nations. Now, just as in times like now, I believe God wants to do something because he wants to declare his presence and his name. If we're going back to this time and where Israel was, God wanted to do something. You know what God did? He came and moved in the heart of a woman who was barren. She couldn't have any children. Hannah was her name. You know, like, it's okay, you can cope with a certain length of time, but there gets a time in terms of a woman and barrenness that you're just feeling, God, will you not hear the cry of my heart? And she went into the temple one day, broken-hearted, and it says that she was pouring her heart out, but you know what, she wasn't, it, it wasn't making any sound, it was just like she was moving her lips, she's just speaking out, but not with words. And the highest priest looks at her and says, what's the matter with you? Are you drunk? And she says, no, I'm not drunk. I'm just telling God what's on my heart. Because my heart is breaking because I want to have a son. And she says, if God will give me a son, I will give him back to God. And the priest prays for her. Guess what? She gets pregnant. And she gives her son back to God. And that boy was Samuel. And this boy Samuel, a young boy, comes and she brings him back to the temple to work under the high priest to be at the temple. That's where he's going to be for the rest of his life. But this wasn't just an, any old boy. This was part of God's move because he loves his people and he wants his people to know him. Folks, you may not always feel it, but God is for you, not against you. And he is at work in the secret things, in the hidden things. He's working the plans of heaven. His agenda is being worked out that his glory may be seen. So Samuel comes and he is there. And if you know the story, you can read the story in, in 1 Samuel. This young lad goes to bed at night. He's lying down near to where the Ark of the Covenant is. He's lying there and he hears his name being called. And so he gets up and he goes to the high priest thinking he's calling him. And, and he says, no, I didn't call you. Go back to sleep. So he goes back to sleep, and the story goes, this keeps happening, and he keeps going, and eventually the high priest says, listen, you hear your name being called again. Just say, Lord, here I am. Speak. Your servant is listening. And of course he does, and God starts to speak to this boy. And from that time on, God started to interact with Samuel to raise him up as a leader over the people. It says in Samuel 3, it says, The Lord was with Samuel as he grew up, and he let none of his words fall to the ground. He gave him authority in the nation. And all Israel, from Dan to Beersheba, and that's like saying from John O'Groats to Land's End. That's what it means, the top and the bottom of the nation. From Dan to Beersheba recognized that Samuel was attested as a prophet of the Lord. The Lord continued to appear at Shiloh, and there he revealed himself 
to Samuel through his word. So God established this prophet Samuel, and he was to rise up and to lead the nation. But as he is growing older, and as he's now beginning to think, who do I pass on to? He's starting to prepare his sons uh, to actually carry on the mantle of leading the nation. But as he's doing this, the people are saying to us, no, 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 we don't want your sons. Give us a king. Give us a king. But this displeased Samuel because Samuel knew that ultimately we need to have a relationship with God. Individuals with God. That's what really counts. We don't need to have somebody over us doing those. We want to have a relationship with God. And so Samuel was saying, God, I don't know about this. But God says, no. Listen to what they are saying. It's not you that they've rejected. They've rejected me. But give them a king. And so we see, again, if you read Samuel, you'll, you'll read this story you'll see that Samuel is told by God that when this certain young man comes to him, or he will know when God is bringing the right person to him. And then we get into the story of Saul and how the young man Saul comes to Samuel and God says to him, this is the one. I want you to anoint him as king. And so Samuel anoints Saul and Saul becomes the first king of Israel. And now Israel has a king to lead them. And Saul leads them into battle against the Philistines. And Saul, in one sense, is doing a good job, but then he's given other tasks to do. And he's given a task to go and utterly destroy the Amalekites. God says, I want you to completely destroy these people, their, their animals, everything. I want you to destroy them because this is what they've, they've done great wrong to my people. I want you to put this injustice to rights. So Saul is given this task, clear instructions of what he's to do. And certainly he goes and he fights and he kills a good number of them, but he brings back the king alive and he brings back certain of the sheep and the animals because he thinks they're really nice and good. He doesn't want to... And Samuel comes to him and says, you haven't obeyed. And you're reading this story and in one sense your heart's saying, this is ridiculous. Like, he nearly did. He, he did a jolly good job. You know what? And you almost put yourself in that place of thinking like, you know, if that was me, would, would I have done the same? Would, would I have done better? Actually, you know, he just spared the king, and I can understand that because he's the. And he spared some of the sheep because they were going to sacrifice them to God to say, God, wow, you've helped us. So there's a sense in our hearts where we think, like, well, maybe he wasn't so bad, but God says, listen, I want you to do what I'm asking you to do. No ifs or buts, no maybes, no nothing. Obedience counts. Saul was disobedient to what God wanted. In his heart, God became grieved. And God says, I'm rejecting him as king. It's almost like God is saying, if you're going to have a heart like that, I can't carry on with what I want to do in you. I wanted to establish your family as the king over this nation for some time. But I see what's going on in your heart, and I can't work with that. Now, now listen, now I know it doesn't say that in the scripture, but this is, this is what God is, do, is dealing with. And so what it does say is that God rejects him. So God says, no, I need to get another king. So this is the position we're coming into right now, where we're coming to find David being anointed as king. Is there a king in Israel at this time? Yes. Saul is king. He's not been wiped out, he's not been killed, he is still king. And yet God is saying, I've seen how he behaves. I've seen that he doesn't fully obey me. 
and I need to have someone who does. And so there's change coming. And so God actually speaks to Samuel and he has now got to go and anoint somebody else. So let's come into our first point today. David anointed as king and we're going to look at uh, Samuel chapter 16 verses 1 to 3 where it says, The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul since I have rejected him as king over Israel? And you understand this because Saul was involved in anointing him. Saul had, was a, involved in the whole process of Israel changing from not having a king to having a king. You, you don't think that the leader of the nation isn't invested in that somehow. He's got his heart in that. He's been, so now it's being rejected. He's hearing the king is being rejected. He is crying out to God, God, why are you doing this? God, why won't you change your mind? I mean, I don't know all the prayers, but you can see from this, he is upset. He's mourning about it. And God just says to him, how long, how long are you going to mourn for Saul since I have rejected him as king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and be on your way. Now, for those who think that's a very strange thing, the oil, <laughs> what he's saying, they had a, a, a horns they used as a drinking vessel. He's being asked to put oil in one of his drinking vessels and take it. Oil is what is used to anoint somebody. And when you anoint somebody with oil, you are showing that God's favor has come upon them. God's calling is about compound. By anointing them, you're saying you are set apart for a purpose. And so by anointing, he knows that he's going to go and anoint as king. Let's go on to the, uh, the next scripture. I'm sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I have chosen one of his sons to be king. But Samuel said, how can I go? If Saul hears about it, he will kill me. The Lord said, take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord Invite Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will show you what you are to do. I've chosen one of his sons, and I will show you what to do. So Samuel is somebody who knows about God, is somebody who wants to obey God. So he's got that ring in his ear, so off he goes. And I want us to cut now, as it were, into Bethlehem. So Samuel arrives at Bethlehem. Now, just incidentally, he arrives there, I think, with some idea of what God might be looking for. Because when it came to actually picking Saul, Saul, it says, was head and shoulders above everybody else. So he's got this idea, I think, of like, you know, there's somebody who is, he just looks the part. Actually, quite, quite like this, I feel. <laughs> looks the part. Head and shoulders. There he is, a good, fine-looking young man. That's where we've got some problems. But otherwise, this is carrying on quite good. He, he, he knows that he's looking for somebody, really, I think, with some stature, with some authority, with some good looks. That's what he's looking for. So he's got that in his mind. He comes to Bethlehem. He meets with Jesse, and Jesse starts to introduce his sons to him. He brings out his firstborn son, Eliab. So here comes Eliab, and Eliab comes out in front of Saul, and Saul, uh, in front of Samuel, I beg your pardon, and Samuel looks at him, and it actually says, it says, surely the Lord's anointed stands here. So you can just imagine it, can't you? So you've got Samuel, just come out here. <laughs> just bear with me, okay? Okay, just bear with Samuel, just stand up on there. Eliab, surely the Lord's anointed stands here. That's it, Samuel, that's it, that's it. I mean, we, you know, we, we, that's just a representation. I'm sorry about that. But see, so Samuel is standing there and he sees it and he thinks, wow, this is the man. And God says, no. Oh, okay. 
So never mind, never mind. <laughs> you know, nice. We got more sons, and sure enough, Abinadab comes up. No. And then it's the third son. Shammah comes up. No. Now, this carries on. Now, fortunately, he's got a lot of sons. So Jesse, oh, when the next one? And so Jesse is bringing these three sons, four sons, five sons. No, Sammy, sorry, I'm not calling you up again. No, no. That, that was the moment of glory. I'm sorry. You've been rejected as king in this case. Don't take it too harshly. Seven of Jesse's sons come up. And every one, God says to him, no. Now, <laughs> what's going on? Jesse's sons are here. They've all come. And he said no. And so Samuel is feeling a little bit confused. He, he's sort of going back to God and saying, God, didn't you say that you have said, I have chosen one of this man's sons to be king? Didn't you say to me, that you would indicate to me the one. So what's going on? Now, fortunately, there is some wisdom in Samuel. So Samuel actually just comes back to Jesse and he says, like, are these all the sons you've got? Now, that's a bold statement because you would have assumed that if he's called his sons, that, that would have you got any more any, under the carpet, whatever? You know, are there any other sons here? And then Jesse says to him, yeah, there is one more. There is one more. And so Samuel says, will you please send for him? Samuel 16, verses 12 to 13. So he sent for him and had him brought in. He was glowing with health and had a fine appearance and handsome features. Now, this is the point where I realized that the NIV that they've obviously gotten there is a more modern version of the NIV. And I'll read what it says in here, and you'll see this, you're, this is essential for my talk, so you'll see why I'm doing this. Okay, Samuel 16, verse 12 to 13. So he sent and had him brought in. This is what uh, the earlier version of the NIV says he was ruddy with fine appearance and handsome features. Then the Lord said to him, So we're going, then the Lord said to him, Rise and anoint him. This is the one. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. Samuel then went to Ramah. So we've got this young lad who's been called in. And finally he arrives. When he arrives, and he is the youngest, and he's out looking after the sheep. So he's the, not only the youngest son He's rather like, well, he's just a shepherd. We'll let him get on with that. And when he does come in, it says, as I said in my version, it says he was ruddy with a fine appearance. Now, what some commentators say about that, when somebody's ruddy, it usually is talking about them being red. And he's suggesting that he was a redhead, a fair-skinned redhead. Now, this is no disrespect to anybody who falls in that category. But don't forget, Samuel was looking for king material. And I don't know whether they thought, I don't know whether this is quite right. The youngest guy who's smelling a bit like the sheep, he comes in, he's a redhead, he's got fair skin, he's young. Is this really the choice of king? But God says, this is the one that I have chosen. God chooses people that we easily overlook. 
Let me say that again. God chooses people that we easily overlook. Do you overlook yourself? Now, it's interesting because although this is, I didn't know I was going to be making this point in one sense, but this touches in a little bit on the last series that we are doing about our identity. So this is just going to underline some of the things that we have already said there. But if God's bringing it up, then he obviously wants to underline it to us. How do you look at yourself, or rather, do you overlook yourself? It's important because it does affect us. I'm too fat, I'm too ugly, I'm too poor, I'm too rubbish, I've got a rubbish job, nobody... What, what is it that you think about yourself? Maybe you're in a great job, but you're still thinking about yourself, whether you're this or you're that. God created you, and he has created you to be you. He has created you to be who you are. That's who he's created you to be. In this day and age, we are very concerned about what others think. What do they think of me? But he has created us to be ourselves. And we spend quite a lot of our time being concerned about what we are like and even running ourselves down. Well, I'm not like that. I can't make up to that. I don't fit into that situation. We run ourselves down when God doesn't want us to do that. God wants us to accept who we are and to start thanking him for who we are. You know what? how hard it is to thank God when you think he's done a bad job? Let's be honest. I've got no hair. I sometimes am concerned about my teeth. They're not beautifully white. They're not beautifully straight. I am not thin. I do not have a physique of an Adonis. I know it's not a great shock to anybody, but that is the statement. And you know what? Okay, it doesn't matter. And yet sometimes it does. Sometimes it does. Sometimes I think, okay, that's not good enough. I wish I was different. Listen, we've got to stop thinking about what is on the outward because God has declared, I wanted you for purpose. And it's my job to start saying, God, praise the Lord that I have no hair because you wanted me like this. Praise God that you have made me and that you have called me. Truth, and let's be truthful, we struggle with this. I don't care who you are, in this church right now, you won't take very long to think about one part of your body that you're not satisfied with. The if-onlys. If only I had feet with arches. If only I was an inch taller. If only, you, you know, all of those things. Even what we would say, oh, but they're beautiful. Listen, every one of us is beautiful. God delights over us. He is pleased with us. Oh, but I've got red hair and I'm fair-skinned. Listen, that's just the type of person that God wants to call to be his king. God is interested in us. Folks, we have to make some choices inwardly so that we're going to stop worrying about the external. And they're choices that are important for us to make if we are going to align ourselves to the way that God thinks. There's going to be stuff that comes at you this week in your minds from people around you because the people around you, especially at work and at school, not so much in our home, our mums tend to hug us and love us. Okay, not every mum, not every dad, I know, but generally speaking, we're expect expecting them 
to comfort us. But then you sort of think, oh, but that's my mum, I know she'd do that. You dismiss it. God has made you who you are because he wants you to be like that. There's a guy called Nick Vidich. I don't know whether you've ever seen him on YouTube or whatever. He is a guy, he's born in Australia. He's a guy with no arms and no legs. And you know what? He goes around the world testifying that he loves Jesus and he is so amazed at the things that Jesus can do in him. And when he's talking before school kids and stuff, they're looking at him and they're thinking like, but this guy's got no arms and no legs and he's talking about it, but there's just life that is flowing out of him because he knows that God is for him, not against him. And the power of that transforms this man's life so that he is speaking to thousands of people and changing their lives, and yet he is in a broken state, as people would judge him in this world. But you see, it's not what's on the outside, it's what flows from within that really makes the difference. That is true for you. I was doing street pastors a couple of weeks ago. Street pastors where people from churches in Bromley go out late at night dealing with people who are on the streets, uh, in the cl- coming out of the bars and the clubs and stuff like this. So I was in East Street in Bromley, outside Blush Bar. Not usually the place that I'm, I'm in or at, but there I was as a street pastor there. There's a group of, of girls, I thought, girls come out, and so we were just talking to them. There's one girl who's slightly older, uh, one girl who was slightly shorter and, and maybe a little bit wider. And then another girl came out. I don't know how to describe this, but obviously, just bear with me. Bear with me. Grace covers a multitude of errors. That's what we say. So anyway, and then this other girl comes out, and, and she's sort of like all live and, you know, and sort of really friendly and extrovert and, and very pretty. And, uh, and the three girls were talking, and oh, we're mums, we're all young mums. And I thought, oh gosh, I didn't, you, you look younger than that. Oh, young mums, okay. Yeah, it was our first night out. We haven't had out for four years, and all this sort of stuff going on. And, uh, and the slightly older girl, she was just quiet. She didn't really say anything. So we've got the slightly shorter girl and this Mediterranean beauty. Okay, now I don't, I'm, I'm saying that jokingly, but she was obviously attractive and lithe and lively. And there was an interaction going on, and, and the girl who was slightly shorter, the, she was saying, oh, we're, we're doing this, we're doing, we haven't been out for ages, and so she was explaining what's going on. And then this live girl saying, like, oh, you're so cute, you are, you're so cute, to this shorter girl. And, uh, and, she, said, and she said, I don't want to be cute. And I was just suddenly listening to what this girl's saying. And, and the conversation was going backwards and forwards, and so we went back to this, the, you know, the, the, the beautiful one, and she kept saying to her friend, you're so cute, you're so cute, you're lovely, you're so cute you are. And I heard the girl say, I don't want to be cute, I want to be sexy. At that moment, I just thought to myself, this is what we're talking about. You see, in your mind, you've rejected who you are on the outside because your friend gets all the attention, because she's so-called prettier than you. She's getting all the attention. You want the attention that she's getting, but you're not getting it because you're different from her. Therefore, you don't want to be who you are. You want to be made sexy so you can be like her. But is that really what God has created you to be? No. He created you to be you. He created you to understand, wow, cuteness is a good thing. And who you are is a good thing. Are you hearing me this morning? No. Are you hearing what God is saying about you this morning? 
God chooses people who others overlook. And he has chosen you to be part of his kingdom. And he has called you for his purposes. Before the foundation of the world, he made notes about you because you are special in his sight. That is what God has done. And that is what God was doing here. When Samuel went to anoint the sons of Jesse, he ends up finding out that it's the youngest, the guy who's been amongst the sheep, the shepherd, but he is the one. The possible, because we don't know it's true, the possible that he's a red-haired, fair-skinned young man. And God says, that's the one that I want to anoint. God chooses. God chooses. And God has chosen you. So we need to get that into our spirit. Not only does God choose. Let's look at our second point, and incidentally, final point. God looks at the heart. Let's just read our scripture. 1 Samuel 16. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not consider his appearance or his height. (laughs) Did you read that? Do not consider his appearance or his height. What do we do? We're worried about our height and our looks. Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. Now that, he was talking about Eliab. So the one that Samuel thought, this is the one that God has chosen. And God says to him, no, 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 no. Do not consider, do not consider his outward appearance. I don't look on the outside. I look on the inside. Now here's the question. How much time and effort do we take worrying about our outside as opposed to the amount of time and effort that we need to take worrying about our hearts? What's on the inside? We're worried about the makeup we're putting on. We're worried about how, whether we're clean shaven, we've got the right clothes on. I'm not saying those things aren't necessary. God knows we need to be clothed. And he likes it, I think, when we're clean. But God is concerned not of the outward appearance. God is concerned about our hearts. And the question is, are we spending all our effort worrying about what others see or are we worried about what God sees? Because look, God looks upon our hearts. It's not about the outside, folks. It's about what goes on the inside. Here's just quickly things we need to consider. We need to consider our hearts and we need to consider what is going on in our hearts. We need to take care of our hearts. How do we take care of our hearts? The Bible tells us that we need to guard them. In Proverbs 4 it says, above all else, guard your heart because it determines the course of your life. We need to think about our hearts, we need to protect our hearts, we need to watch over our hearts. We need to guard them. We need to fill our hearts. Fill our hearts with truth. To the Jews who had believed in him, Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. We need to protect our hearts. In other words, not let everything come in, but we also need to fill our hearts with something. It needs to be filled with truth. We need to get God's word into our hearts. Man does not live on bread only, but on every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. 
Therefore, we need to feed ourselves so that we're being fed with truth. And just because you've read it once doesn't necessarily mean it's gone in, but there are times when you're reading the Word and you know the truth and suddenly that truth releases you into freedom. But you know what? If you're not looking after your heart, you're not worried about it. It doesn't matter. I'm more interested in whether I've got white teeth. I'm more interested in what my hair looks like. I'm more interested in what I'm wearing. Why? Because of what others say? When God is trying to say, listen, I want to look at your heart. I want to try to check out what's going on inside. We need to guard our hearts. We need to fill our hearts. And finally, we need to keep our hearts soft. Scripture says this. See to it, brothers, in Hebrews 3, 12. See to it, brothers, that none of you has a sinful unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God but encourage one another daily as long as it's called today so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. Sin can cause our hearts to become hardened and hard hearts tends to reject God. So we need to watch what's going on in our lives. We need to watch what's coming on from within us that's flowing out of us. Are there still attitudes in us that God has already put his finger on that we say like, wow, I want that to be changed. I want that to be adjusted. You have got to forgive that person. I know all about the injustice. I know all about the excuses. But my word says, if you do not forgive, I will not forgive you. Therefore, I'm putting pressure on you, says God. You've got to release people. So we've got to guard our hearts. We've got to watch over what's going on. Otherwise, we end up with hardened hearts. And a hardened heart becomes hardened towards God. And we start to reject God. And that's the last thing we want. We want to come close to God. I'm just going to finish with two questions. Which we would do good to consider for ourselves. These are the questions. Do I accept myself? Ask yourself this, do I accept myself for who I have been made to be? Plastic surgeons need to run from this place because you're not welcome here, because there's no need for you, because God loves you for who you are. Do I accept myself for who I have been made to be? Incidentally, if anybody's had plastic surgery, God also loves you. Okay. Okay. Just in case you're sitting there thinking like, oh no. But what I'm saying is this, you don't have to change. You don't have to change. Beauty comes from within and out. And when that wellspring of life is flowing inside, you are the most attractive person in the world because people are not just meeting what you consider to be you, they're meeting God in you. And that is beauty. That is real beauty. Do I accept myself for who I am, for who I have been made to be? And secondly, how is my heart before God? Am I giving all my effort to the external things instead of getting my heart right before God? God chose David not because of his looks, but because of his heart. You know, let me just read, finish with this. Acts 13. This is what's written of David. After removing Saul, it says, he made David their king. He testified concerning him. I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will do everything I want him to do. That heart, God elevates to be king. 
And God wants to elevate you and to help you in your circumstances. But he wants your heart. Will you give him your heart this morning? Amen.